uh, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter or Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Today is the first of our series called Prayer Matters. Uh, I think that there are few things that are more important and few things that are less emphasized than prayer in the lives of believers. Uh, we have learned much about prayer from theologians. Soren Kierkegaard has said about prayer that prayer does not change God. Prayer changes the heart of the man who prays. Martin Luther has said that when he looked at life, he found himself so busy that he had to pray at least three hours a day. MC Hammer says you have to pray just to make it today. So we have a variety of backgrounds in regards to prayer. And as we begin to consider what it means for me and for you to be prayers, I, I would encourage us to think through uh, the way that we approach God when we have conversations with Him. Uh, I think that if we are not careful, prayer becomes nothing more than a Christmas list or a laundry list of things that we need God to take care of. And while it is good for us to go to God with petitions very much like that, it is also helpful for us to allow our prayers to be shaped by the character of God. That we as people who worship God, we worship Him because of who He is and what He has done. Yet we realize that we could never know who He is without experiencing what He has done. Psalm 118, pick up with me in verse 1 and see if you find the recurring theme as I read through these 29 verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Now, stop right there. Uh, I'm going to read the beginning of verse 4 again, and I'm going to ask you to respond by reading that text aloud because we are the people who fear the Lord. At least I hope. Uh, let those who fear the Lord say... One more time with emphasis. and uh, Let those who fear the Lord say... My distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me, and the Lord set me free. The Lord is on my side, and I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords and up to the horns of the altar. You are my my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Jesus, as we look into your word today, I pray that it will be something that shapes us. And Jesus, I pray as we think about prayer, that even when unmentioned, we will realize that we are praying out of gratitude. Because God, you can hear our pleas and our plights and you can hear our struggles. Because you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever. So Jesus, over us today, speak. Speak in a way that changes the way that we speak to you. We ask all of this in your holy, righteous name. Amen. When Jared and I first started talking on the phone in September of last year, uh, very quickly I started to consider all of the things that I've read and what it would mean to sit down with elders and to talk through how we as a church um, look at our community and how we see those around us and how we consider our neighbors and how, most importantly, we look at our God. And how we see what our function is as people who belong to that God in light of those who are around us. And I started to think about all of the books that they made me read in seminary that I've forgotten. And I started to think about books that were uh, very helpful for me in shaping and forming uh, my theology and my my view of who God is. And I even began to think about uh, books that were outside of the realm of, of Christian thought that would still be a massive benefit to us. Now, there are some who would stop me and say, why would you ever read a book that's not Christian? And I come alongside of R.C. Sproul, theologian that you've probably watched on a video somewhere, who says all truth is God's truth. And there's one book that has uh, stuck with me as a pastor and as someone who prays that, uh, that I would lead well. And that is written by a man named Simon Sinek. And the title of the book is Start With Why. And in Start With Why, we sat down as elders and I asked everyone to to read through it. And uh, Sinek 
spends a lot of time talking about Apple as a company and when you live in a community that's 50-50 Apple Android you get a lot of pushback from people like Greg Smith who's like I don't like Apple we'll eat an orange so uh, you look and you're talking about what it means to understand your purpose to understand what it is in your everyday that that drives everything else. And and Cynic's whole point of the book is if you know your why, then your how and your what fall into place. And if you do not know your why, then your how and your what, no matter how clear they are, no matter how good your product is, or how well you have... um, Worded that if you do not know your why, then your product will never be received, it will never be accepted, that it will struggle to get from your brain to the consumer. So when I read through Psalm 118, I, I read through this and I ask myself the question where is the why in this passage? For those of us who would be people of prayer, is there a why that we can find in these 29 verses? Is there a why that gives point and purpose, gives direction and distinction to everything that we are and everything that we do as people who claim to follow Yahweh? As people who have claimed that we are in right relationship with the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus. And when we look at this text, what we see, the recurring thing, and actually in this type of poetic language, there is one statement or or a group of verses, that first four, that serve as the why for everything else that takes place. And if you are to even narrow that down more, there are certain words present that we could sum up the whole, the whole thing in. When you look at the why of Psalm 118, why we would give thanks, why we would consider God's mercy, why we would consider God's might, Why we would even know God's Messiah, it is because God's steadfast love, it endures forever. We don't know who wrote Psalm 118. If you're a gambling man at Center Court Pizza on trivia night, the best answer would be for you to go with David. Because he wrote a bunch of these things. But the the number one argument also for any theologian is that David wrote Psalm 118. And the reason for that is, when we look in the book of Ezra, at the founding of the second temple, we see this in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. If you're a note taker, write this down, look at it later. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments, they came forward with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals, I love a good symbol, clanging symbols, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. One more time, when the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, everyone involved, the priests, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with their symbols, they praised the Lord according to David's directions. And they sang this responsively. Praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, 
And his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. So the response of the people to God's steadfast love enduring forever, 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 ever is all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house the Lord was laid. So we look through Ezra and we see this foundation has been laid for us. So our foundational principle for everything that we will understand about who God is and how we see Him as people who approach Him is we are to give thanks to the Lord because He is good and steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. If you have something to write on, I want you to take just a moment... And I want you to write that phrase in your own words. His steadfast love endures forever. We're going to translate this into the Grace Bible version. His steadfast love endures forever. Write that in whatever way you can. Word that out. Verses 5 through 9. We see God's mercy because His steadfast love endures forever. Again, if you're a note taker, that's a great thing to write down. We see God's mercy because His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and the Lord set me free. The Lord is on my side and I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Uh, This week uh, was a pretty unique week for our family, for Hope's family in particular. Uh, Last Friday, and some of you know this through prayer requests, uh, Hope's cousin, uh, 21 years old, been married in May, uh, was in a wreck and... Uh, He passed away. He was, again, 21 years old. And I I watched the response of her family. I I was in New Mexico at the time, and we live in a world of where we interact with people even when they're far from us. Through social media and, and through our ability even to talk on the phone. But uh, so arrangements were made and the funeral was on Tuesday and one of the questions that I had in my mind was who's going to speak? Because her, her, his granddad, uh, Noah's grandfather, is a pastor and this was his first grandson and I did not know if he 
would be able to stand in front of a group of people in the face of tragedy and share as to this, as to the life of his grandson just because of the emotion that would be present. And I get in for the funeral and I'm, I'm watching. And I see him sit on the front row, which is typically where pastors will preach funerals, in, in, in his grief. Again, he's grieving, yet it is very obvious to me that he's about to stand in front of people and proclaim that God is good in the face of this difficulty. And then you begin to think, well, when he stands up, will he be able to contain his emotions? Because as someone who has preached funerals for people that I dearly love, that is a difficult thing to do. Sometimes it is impossible. And he stood up. And he began to walk through how good God is. And he began to share about his grandson and share about the blessing that God had given him in this grandson. And there was never a moment... I, again, I, I even, I'll be honest, I, I had to, to leave a little early and I, I watched it on the internet as he preached this funeral... And out of his distress, he called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him and was his safe place. And his daughter, the, the mother of this young man, when I've noticed things that she's posted and even in the, the things I've overheard about conversation, the Lord is her safe place. And there's grief and there's heartache and, and we all... That's an, it's hard to imagine that type of grief. But this family rests and that the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever. That the Lord has not ceased to be on their side. They have no fear because God is with them. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord to find Him as your safe place than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. We look at the Bible contextually and we realize that that phrase prince is probably not something that we have spent much time talking about even in the parts of what we call the first world that have princes they don't really rule and reign they just uh, they are figureheads but in the world of the writer of psalm of this psalm the prince was of a powerful position and what he is acknowledging is I would rather put my trust in the Lord than even in princes 
or pastors or presidents. And then we begin to see that God's mercy has been made so clearly known to him because God's steadfast love has not abandoned him. God is consistent that he is ever present. We not only see God's mercy, we see God's might because his steadfast love endures forever. We see the might of God because his steadfast love endures forever. For, forever. That's not a word. Forever. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. You come to bees in this passage, and I'm reminded of the Poe home. Uh, they're uh, among the Poe children, all three of them who uh, talk a lot, and one who is catching up quickly. There are a few things that are ever mentioned that, are, that carry the, uh, the villainous weight of a bee, or a wasp, or a hornet. Anything with wings. There was a fly in the car yesterday, and you would have thought there was a dragon flying around trying to bite my children. For me, it was never bees. I, I never really thought too much about bees. I didn't like to be stung, because who does? But there, growing up, I had a, a neighbor named Joe. He lived across the street, and Joe was the kid in the neighborhood who stayed in trouble. And we all know who our Joe is, am I right? That was him, not you, hopefully. And I remember when Joe's dog bit me. And from that point forward, I have been afraid of dogs. Uh, I'm not a big dog fan. I don't care who let them out. Dogs don't matter to me all that much. I was going to do a camp in Tennessee uh, just a few years ago and following my GPS and it keeps rerouting me because I was in that part of town that, or in that part of the state where they, it was always under construction. And if you can think of a place like that around here, could you raise your hand? It's always under construction. That's great. Uh, glad you're with me. And I was on road number three, and when I turned in, rerouted yet again, I was on a gravel road about three quarters the width of my car, and for point of reference, I drive a Honda, not a Hummer. And as I drove, there were trees on my left and trees on my right, and I am moving down the road, and as I move down the road, I see no escape, and in front of me there's a sign that says, No Trespassing. And I'm inevitably about to trespass where I'm headed. Standing before me was a young man, a little boy. I'll be real with you, there are two types of children in this world. Cute ones and creepy ones. And on a scale of one to Voldemort, he was sitting on Hannibal Lecter. Uh, when he sees me driving towards him, he extends his hand like this, as if to say, stop. And in my heart of hearts, I said, no. Now, if you're thinking, Pastor Chad, were you afraid of a little boy? The answer to that is an unequivocal yes. And as he extends his hand towards me, I play it off trying to wave at him. And as I'm waving at him driving around the little boy, 
His dog trots off the front porch. In the hills of Tennessee, when you're in these shady situations, it's never a friendly dog, never a schnauzer or a collie. This pit bull mutant bear comes towards the little boy. And as I'm driving away, I hear a voice that did not belong to the boy because it did belong to Beelzebub say something to the effect of, I said, stop. So I floored my Honda, which meant that I was driving 37 miles an hour. Looking in my rearview mirror, I see the boy make a motion with his hand. And when he did, his dog begins to chase after me. If that were the worst part, it'd be okay. But when that dog began to chase me, various other dogs converged from the woods on my car. I had hounds over here and mutts over here. I had a wiener dog right in the back of a St. Bernard chasing after my car, attempting to surround me and trap me between them and the boy. Now, I escaped because I was in a sweet, sweet ride. But the idea that we see here is that though surrounded from every side, David, or whoever the Psalter is, he trusts that God, because his love is not leaving, that his love is with him in, this, in the most difficult moments in 5 through 9, that his love is with him in the most dangerous moments in 10 through 4, 13 and 14, that God has not left us So we give thanks to the Lord because He's good and His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and He is my salvation. And my song, He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The word valiant carries a noble idea that however God acts is good, is pure, is, un is unfaltering. That when God acts on our behalf, even though it may not be what we would like for it to be, that God has moved towards us for our good because He is good. I will not die, but I will live. And I will recount the deeds of the Lord. And then you get to verse 18, and it, it almost seems like He shifts thought. Yet, because God is acting valiantly, even in His discipline, we see that God is for David. God is for Israel. God is for Aaron. God, God is for the house of Aaron. God is for those who fear the Lord. God is for us. The Lord has disciplined me severely because he has not given me over to death. The Lord disciplined me severely but has not given me over to death. God's discipline for those of us who fear the Lord. Though it may not be what we like. 
will be used for our eternal good because He has not given us to eternal separation from Him. We see in His mercy, God's steadfast love endures forever. We see in His might that God's steadfast love endures forever. But ultimately, as people who are called to give thanks to the Lord because He is good and His steadfast love endures forever, He has allowed us to see His Messiah. This is a messianic psalm. And you see this, that in showing His mercy and might to us, God has delivered us to righteousness. So I'm going to read that again so you get all three M's for the alliteration's sake, even though one of them is not a real word. I'm going to make the word Messiah a verb. In showing His mercy and might to us, God has messiahed us to righteousness. He has delivered us through the saving one, the hope bringer, the righteous one, Jesus. We see that this passage is personally messianic. Go with me, verses 19 through 22. Open to me the gates of the righteous, that I may enter through them. He's building off of himself. God is merciful, and he is mighty. And as the merciful one, he says to those of us who are unrighteous, here are the gates. As the mighty one who is the savior of the world, I can and and am the only one who can open these gates. Open to me the gates of the righteous that I may enter through them. But when you go through, give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. God's people, those who belong to him. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. So those who have seen and acknowledged that God's steadfast love endures forever are invited into a place where we can be grateful to Him. You cannot be grateful to God if you are outside of Him. No matter how mystical or how how much we have this generalized view of God, outside of Jesus, your gratitude has no eternal value. But for those of us who have experienced His steadfast love through His mercy, and we all know that, if we, we know the moments where He's shown us mercy, through His might... The writer references the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He stopped talking about a temple. He's no longer talking about the place where the Jewish people gather. This isn't a place, this is a person. Five times in the New Testament we reference this cornerstone passage. Jesus alludes to it without quoting it directly. This passage is personally messianic. But we also see that it's publicly messianic. This deliverer that is Jesus. 
Go with me in verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The word rejoice. Let us find joy over and over and over and over and over. And be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. The psalm is read on Palm Sunday a good bit. And the reason is, you see this reference to God saving us. And when you look into the, the text from Ezra earlier, when you even look through this text and, and various other psalms that, that kind of coincide with it, you see the idea of laying things down and acknowledging the Messiah, that the Savior has come. It has historical references because there was a gentleman who, in the place between the Old and the New Testament, who delivered Israel, in a sense, from uh, Roman overrule. Now, his name was Judas Maccabees. They called him the Hammer. That's a great wrestling name, Judas the Hammer Maccabees. And when he would come to town to celebrate his victory, they would wave palm branches. And you even see that concept here in this text... Because as they waved these branches, they were calling out this, God save us, God save us, God save us. We know that the, the bigger, greater telling of that story comes in the Gospels when, when Jesus, on what we call Palm Sunday, comes into the city and as he comes into the city, his disciples begin to do what? They take off their coats and they lay their coats down for, him to, for his donkey to walk on. The people are chanting and cheering and, and celebrating that God would, would show himself to them in this way. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And he made his light to shine upon us. And we've still got this massive celebration that is fixed in various moments of a chronology. Historic points of reference. That God would deliver us from Rome. That God would deliver us from Greece. That God would deliver us through a person in a moment. Yet this gets bigger. Because as they celebrate, as the writer celebrates God's deliverance, he says this, Bind the festal sacrifice with cords. Up to the horns of the altar. So if you're reading this before the days of Jesus and outside of uh, the Christian understanding of theology, you read this and you see a king coming in and you see a sacrifice coming from a different place and a celebration of the conquering king through the suffering of a sacrifice. But that sacrifice is only good for a moment. And in Jesus, the conquering king is the suffering sacrifice. In Jesus, we see that the Psalter is taking us not to a separation of celebration and suffering. But to those who would go before the Lord because He is good and His steadfast love endures forever, 
that we are allowed to celebrate through Christ's suffering. These things are tied together. So we go before God as a people who have been called by scriptures to go before him. And we have conversations with our Lord. And we can celebrate all of the good that God does and we can mourn alongside of all the the difficulties of a broken world because our God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. I met my, my best friend from high school when I was 16 years old. And he has been a constant in my life. I honestly met him three days after my mother's funeral. And we were in a church parking lot shooting baskets and I made four or five in a row and he asked me if I played basketball for my school and I lied to him and told him yes. That summer, uh, I needed to go to summer school, and we were just acquaintances at this point, but his mom, super gracious, super kind woman, she knew that I did not have a way to summer school, and she asked me to live in their house with them for the summer. And we saw this evolution of our friendship. Tied together friendship. When I was um, 25, my brother passed away. He had uh, cancer. And those last few days of his life, this friend, Jeremy, was there. He never left the hospital. He was there beside me. Steadfast. My dad passed away uh, last year, or 2015 rather, and and Jeremy was there. And when my grandmother, who raised me, passed away just this past January, um, Jeremy was one of my first friends that was there. Steadfast, constant, ever-present. And, you know, I'm not the only person that has a friend like this. Every person in this room has someone that they look at in their life and they say, that's my person. I know who that is. I, 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 I need that person. And we know, even without knowing, and we don't have to think that when life throws us curveballs and sliders and difficult things, that that person will be there. If, if you know that person, just raise your hand. You got that person? This is the participatory part of our program. We, would, we know that person what this scripture takes us to as people who are going to say we should give thanks to God starting because he's good and his steadfast love endures forever that we never forget that we have an ever present God that we don't do bad enough things for God to abandon us because we did not do good enough things for God to love us that God has shown himself to be faithful and merciful and mighty And that we can understand his mercy and his might because he has delivered us in Jesus. So we give thanks to the Lord because he's good. And his steadfast love endures forever. 
that we see prayer as a place where we meet with God and the foundational truth of it is that our God is good and He's not leaving us. So that gives basis for the way that we talk to Him about other things. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say His steadfast love endures forever. Let, let those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. One more time, all of us together, let those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to pray over us. Jared's going to come and get in place. Your heads are bowed. There's various stations around the room. We have pens and we have papers. And just as people who want to say, God... We want to look at your goodness and your greatness. We want to think about those things. As the band begins to play a new song for us about coming to meet with God, coming to the altar, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to come to one of our tables and I want you to answer these three questions about our God, about His goodness and His greatness and His grandeur, all the things that we know and love about God. Question one is, what attribute of God stands out the most to you? Question two, what attribute of God do you take for granted? in this season of your life what would you like to see this mighty merciful God do Jesus we open this time to you and as we begin to move to these stations filling these out pray that we as a body will charge forward because we can boldly go before your throne because you are good and your steadfast love endures forever that we can see the difficulties of life through the biblical scriptural lens that your steadfast love endures forever That you have invited us to a place where we can know that your steadfast love endures forever through a conquering king who became a suffering sacrifice. So let's think on you and let us sing to you. We ask this in your name. As you move and fill those those papers out, I invite you to stick those to these plywoods at the front of our room so that we can have a place to remember God and His steadfast love. Let's move together now.
by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? And do you thirst for a drink from 